Welcome, everybody, to Wait, What? Sports Biz Chat with DP and McGee. The podcast where we take a sometimes irreverent, sometimes cynical, and sometimes serious look at the sports business. And every once in a while, maybe we get you to say, Wait, what? I'm your co host, Tim McGee. And I'm David Faro. David, what's on your mind this week? Well, it was a fun weekend of watching some great, exciting Final Four basketball, that's for sure. I wanted to I wanted to shine a little more light on women's sports, particularly as we approach the 50th anniversary of Title IX, uh, which is in June. So we talk a fair amount on this show about women's sports, but I, I want to punch that up a bit here, not just because I'm a proud, very proud two-time girl dad, but because I think we're beginning to see the push for more equity paying some dividends, which I think will mean more commercial opportunities, meaning growing business, et cetera. Um, a couple things that that have stood out to me as I, I was thinking about this show. Um, in February, the U.S. women's national team reached that historic settlement with the U.S. Soccer Federation, something we hope to be talking about uh, later in the show with our guest. Um, just last week, 91,533 people packed in uh, to Camp No in Barcelona to watch an El Clasico match. Uh, between the women's teams of FC Barcelona and Real Madrid. Um, the Augusta National Women's Amateur just played its third installment this past weekend at uh, in Georgia at Augusta National, the week, of course, before um, the Masters uh, kicks off on Thursday. A 16-year-old, Anna Davis from San Diego, wins this thing. It was amazing. Rolex ran a, a spot around this tournament in it. Mike Tirico, the the lead NBC um, sports guy, was on hand, and it and it certainly gave it a, an amount of gravitas uh, that was uh, that made it compelling. The final four, which I thought was extremely well covered uh, by ESPN, the entire tournament very well covered by ESPN. The production quality, um, it didn't feel as though it was taking a backseat uh, to what we were seeing on the men's side. Um, and the final, which pitted South Carolina against UConn, had a very strong 4.9 million viewers, uh, which was the highest in two decades. They even ran a Manning cast type of thing with uh, UConn legend Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi, uh, which, uh, which the reviews were, were, were quite good. Women's basketball players have actually earned the second most compensation of, of NIL deals following just um, football players. So with you know, all of this stuff in mind, I'm not thinking about it just because it's fair, although certainly fairness is uh, the guiding principle of, of Title IX. But what we're seeing uh, is that given similar platforms, women can and I think will provide a level of drama as compelling as watching men play. Um, you know, I think what, what we saw at uh, Augusta National was a prime example of that. And the one thing that's been, I guess, weighing on me is, is that um, is that the thing, you know, people saying they like the college game better, say, in, in basketball. They like the college game better than NBA. And if that's the case, then not giving women's chance, I think they're full of shit if they don't give the women's game a, a, a chance uh, because they're producing very compelling uh, drama in their games. And this is what the legendary um, head of the Women's Sports Foundation, Donna Lopiano, was saying to us, saying to me decades ago, and, and maybe we should have listened a little more to uh, – uh, to her then. So uh, I'll get off my soapbox for a second and <laughs> let you respond. No, and it's just, you know, first of all, you know, you, you, these women are starting to become household names 
at the collegiate level much more than they were in the past, which I think bodes well for the continued growth of the WNBA. But an interesting story about Augusta, you know, if you recall, you know, 20 years ago or so, Martha Burke led the charge to try to get women to um, be admitted as members to Augusta and uh, Hootie Johnson, who was uh, running uh, Augusta National at that point, um, vehemently fought that. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to be invited to play at Augusta. Um, and uh, and while I was there... Wait, the what? Member, yeah. I, I've known you for a long time. I do not know this story. Yeah, no. So so first of all, somebody goes, well, that must, that must come off your bucket list. And I said, no, because never in a million years would I ever have expected to be invited to play at Augusta. So it hadn't right? even made your bucket list. No, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But while we were there, our, our the member who was hosting us told us a story about how a women's collegiate team's course was being worked on um, and they weren't able to practice or compete. And Hootie Johnson allowed them to stay in the crow's nest and play on the co course at Augusta. And I, I found that fascinating because if you recall back then, they took an enormous PR hit. And I, I think it just speaks to the, the fact that Augusta does what Augusta wants to do when Augusta wants to do it. It wasn't that Hootie Johnson didn't want, um, didn't want women members. He didn't want it to be dictated to him or the other members of the club. I, I just found that very fascinating. Another quick story about that. Uh, I get up to the, you know, I, I I was the worst player in the foursome by far and uh, get up to the first tee and uh, the member says, okay, the honors are yours, Tim, you know, which is probably the last thing you want to do if you're playing right. with me. Right. Uh, but anyway, I, I smoked it right down the middle of the fairway and I turned to the member and I said, you know what I was thinking? And he, he said, no, what? I said, you only get to tee off for the first time once at Augusta. Don't screw it up. Uh, but I didn't say screw. Uh, and I didn't. So anyway, uh, with that, let's make the most awkward segue possible from women's sports to Augusta to Tiger Woods, because when we talk about Tiger Woods and women in the same breath, we're typically not talking about what we're going to be talking about right now. But Tiger announced today that he is, barring some unforeseen circumstances, going to be teeing it up on Thursday at the Masters. And, um, you know, notwithstanding some of the issues he's had in the past, I think it's phenomenal for the sport of growth for golf. And um, if you saw him at all today in any of the video clips, um, at least from the waist up, he's still a beast. He's he's cut like a linebacker. He's got about a 32 inch waist and probably 42 inch shoulders. Um, don't know how his leg is, but it's going to be it's certainly going to drive interest in viewership. Um, for the first couple of rounds, and if he makes the cut, um, I think we'll see some really great numbers on on the weekend. Yeah, Tiger drives interest. It's as simple as that. Um, he won the, last at Augusta in that crazy comeback uh, tournament in 2019 where he won his fifth green jacket, um, and it was right on top of that that the tour began, I believe, its negotiations for this current long-term deal they have, which couldn't have been better timed. Um, yeah, he just drives interest. He drives interest in, in the casual fan. He drives interest in the hardcore. He drives interest among sponsors. He, you know, the, the networks salivate over, over his participation. 
when he participated at the PNC with his son, Charlie, the numbers did quite well, although he was also pitted down the stretch against John Daly and his son, which just made it even more compelling television, of course. Um, and he's he's exciting to watch. I, you know, Fred Couples, who I don't know, I mean, he's a Masters champion, of course, uh, He and he's tight with Tiger. Um, he says he sees if, you know, that Tiger's, he said Tiger was going to play and that he could win. Now, no one's going to say Tiger can't win because Tiger is one of these, you know, and I hate using this term, but I think it is, it is apropos for him. He is a freak of nature um, when it comes to his competitiveness and, and what it come and when it comes to what he's been able to overcome physically and, and to some degree, emotionally, not to some degree, absolutely emotionally, his life was completely um, upended uh, because of his doing. And uh, it's been a bizarre battle back for him, but um, the welcome that he will get among the patrons uh, and the players, uh, I think will be uh, incredible, but he's going to change the entire dynamic of what's going on down there. I mean, he was practicing yesterday and the crowds were like a Sunday. Um, it was, it was pretty phenomenal. So he tees off, I think with uh, Joaquin Neiman and uh, Louis Oosthuizen, two people that have won significant, uh, significantly on the tour. So they probably are to some degree used to it, but this is just going to be crazy on Monday or on, excuse me, on Thursday and Friday um, for those, for those first two rounds. And listen, for the sake of excitement and the sake of sports overall, I'm cheering for him to make the cut. I, I am too. Um, you know, I was at AT&T when we did the deal with Tiger and I was at AT&T when we let the, deal with tiger go um and that's probably a subject of a of another podcast that, that whole story but um but yeah i think it's great for the sport um i think uh there's a few things that americans love one is to build up heroes the second thing is to tear them down and the third with rare exception is to sort of see that third act uh, of redemption and recapturing of past glory and um you know, Tiger's had more lives than a cat at this point, at least professionally. Um, and we'll see if he can if he can come back. I think uh, I think it's going to be a great great thing to watch. Yeah, one of the other stories on the on the sponsorship and endorsement side is is that since his accident in February of last year, or two was it two was it last year or was it two thousand twenty? In in COVID, no, it was, I think it was. It was 2021. It was last yes. year, last yeah. February. So, and it happened while he was, um, you know, right after he was hosting his own tournament, the Genesis Open out in LA. And he has made this, you know, comeback, but but people were wondering if he could even. He is wearing Foot Joy golf mm -hmm. shoes, which is getting a lot of news. And uh, apparently he is working with Nike right now on something that will uh, satisfy the way he is he is walking or working a little better. And he said that Nike didn't have anything that, that was exactly feeling right as he was walking the course. Uh, but he, you know, he went out, he came out last week and started playing around and started building up, I think his endurance to walking this course, which they say is among, if not the toughest walking course there is um, among the, the ones that are, that are played by these tour players. So yeah, I, I you know, it's going to be, um, it's going to be interesting. I know we have opening day on Thursday as well. You know, my Cubs are hosting the Brewers at, at, at Wrigley. Um, and, uh, but we also have the uh, ting off of the Masters. And we had Norb, Norb Gambuza 
uh, from the tour on last week. We all made predictions. We I don't think any of us would have picked Tiger had we known that he was going to play at that time. We should have probably pressed Norb to know if he uh, knew anything inside mm-hmm. the ropes, so to speak. Um, but uh, I'm still going with Will Zalatoris. I think you picked Rory and uh, mm-hmm. and Norb picked uh, JT. So, um, you know, it begins on Thursday. So we'll uh, we'll close the uh, we'll close the discussion on Tiger. Nike is down two bucks today for uh, one and a half percentage points. I wonder if that's related at all to Tiger's um, choice of footwear. Yeah, I I don't know if I if I recall at a quick glance of my my portfolio the overall market was not looking particularly good based on some comments coming out so i'm a little reluctant to put it all on that but i guess yeah. we will i guess we shall see yeah and uh the other thing this is uh let me let me get my crop so we can beat a dead horse we've been talking about baseball almost ad nauseum for the last couple of weeks another big deal for baseball Corona has come in as the official cerveza of Major League Baseball, not not official beer, official cerveza or or virus. I thought that's what kind of where you were going to go with that. No, um, no, but, but you know, but uh, another great win for our friends at Major League Baseball. Yeah, and uh, some announcements have come out. The, they have approved the jersey patch starting next season, which will be sold on a team by team basis, and we can see we could see. Uh, Jersey de- or excuse me, helmet decals as early as this postseason. Although right. those will be sold by the league, not not by the individual teams. Right. Um, uh, yeah, I think you know. Listen, I think that's the way that you're going to see it. You already have helmet decals in the NHL. Um, they don't bring them over to the jerseys yet, but that is something that that we'll expect to see. Um, obviously, the NFL will be looking at this in terms of the money uh, gain, but they, as we've talked about before on this show, can be the ones that sit back and and see how it performs. Um, it was going to be, I think, the interesting part of this story is going to be the market disparity. Um, you know, what does uh, what does Kansas City get, say, as opposed to the uh, you know the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Dodgers or the Cubs? Um, I think there's going to be significant difference in there. Uh, I'm not sure what the rev share is on that or if that was announced in the CBA. Uh, going to need to take a look at that or if there is any rev share at all on it. Yeah, um, I don't I don't know. That's a good question because I think the disparity will be even greater than it is in the NBA, quite honestly. It it, abs- it absolutely will be. Um, uh, I think for certain it, that it will be. I mean, if there, listen, there's valuations that are that are very different in the NBA. Uh, with the Knicks and the Lakers being what they are, but this is—it's a way different ball game on the on the baseball side, um, and you can just see it in terms of the in terms of the taxes, the quote unquote tax that's paid uh, yeah. because of exceeding the salary caps from those couple teams that that we've talked about, um, and uh, you know, and you, you have players like Max Scherzer, you know, earning. Um, earning for the Mets as much as I think three other teams combined salary yeah, it's, wise. It's crazy. Uh, yeah, and he's going to be asked to carry that that pitching yeah. staff for hey, for at least yeah. a little while. Hey, speaking of revenue share, I mean one thing, and this is talk about beating a dead horse and piling on something here, but in a negative way, um, the. Commanders uh, have another story that broke recently uh, through some testimony. Uh, someone has said that they are they have not reported accurately 
the ticket sales that come. And some of that needs a certain percentage of that is supposed to go back to the NFL. Now, they are flatly denying this, aggressively denying this. But I, I tell you what, it seems to me, we've talked about dominoes when it comes to the commanders. It seems to me that given the amount of investigation that the league is doing now into, into uh, owner Daniel Snyder um, uh, in various workplace situations, that it seems to me they're building one heck of a case to say, Dan, time to go. Um, and I think we'll, I, I would not be surprised if we see that before the beginning of, uh, uh, the 2022 football season. Yeah. We, we don't know if that's true or not, but if it is, that has significant implications for all 31 other clubs, right? It, it not only it does it go straight to their bottom line, right. But it also has implications on things like salary cap and, and things like that. So. Uh, you know, I think I said last week, you know, three data points make a trend. And this is the third data <laughs> point. Um, so we've officially got a trend. Um, again, we don't know if it's true or not, um, but I'm sure we will find out soon enough. But I, right. I think your your prediction about Mr. Snyder selling that club, that's uh, not a bet I would take. Right? I, right. I, I agree with you. I think the likelihood of that gets greater by every day. Right. And right. speaking of speaking of web series, I just read this morning that there's going to be a, a mini series about Donald Sterling, um, which, uh, you know, I don't know if it's going to be a comedy or if it's going to be a tragedy if, or a drama. If you, if you haven't watched Winning Time yet on HBO Max, the <laughs> uh, the the story of the Lakers Showtime era with Dr. Buss and Magic and Kareem, uh, et cetera. They have, in one of the early episodes, they they depict Donald Sterling, and it's just, it's worth the entire series just to watch that one scene. Um, I've been trying to talk to my LA friends that are huge Lakers fans and and try to get the, you know, skinny on how accurate. They, they've definitely dramatized some things, but I've also read up that they got some of the stories right, you know, how they went after uh, Jerry Tarkanian as the coach before, um, uh, you know, before ultimately hiring Jack McKinnon, um, who ended up then giving way to, um, for a quick time period, Paul Westhead and then, and then Pat Riley. I mean, it's a pretty fascinating relook back at that time, uh, for sure. And I'm a huge John C. Riley fan, by the way. He's just cracking me up playing Dr. Buss. Well, you know, I was going to say, he actually looks like Jerry Buss, <laughs> but not since... William Bendix played uh, Babe Ruth. Um, has has somebody looked less like the person they're portraying than the, than the guy who's playing Magic Johnson? Although I will say this, I, I did hear that Lawrence Fishburne is going to be playing Doc Rivers in that series about Donald Sterling. On so Sterling. I can imagine him. I can imagine him going to Blake Griffin. Do you want the red pill or do you want the blue yeah. pill? <laughs> um, yeah. The, well, I think that, it, you know, the, whoever developed this series, and I don't know who it is, but, uh, you know, along with, with HBO Max, there's obviously interest in this. Of course, you know, I, I don't think it could be as good as Will Ferrell and Adam McKay semi-pro, which was just an awesome look at the ABA. Best, best basketball picture comedy since at least the fish that saved pittsburgh sorry the great the great 
Gabe Kaplan. <laughs> now, if the if the academy wants to make things right, give Mr. Kaplan a G lifetime achievement G award, please. Gabe, Ka Gabe Kaplan could ball. Yeah. I mean, but I'll tell you what. You know who else could ball was Andre 3000, and he proved that in semi-pro. <laughs> uh, um, all right. I think it's probably a good time to take a break. We're going to come back to you with a great guest. Um, be back with you soon. It's time for our guest. David, let's introduce our next guest. Um, he is a longtime industry colleague, friend, client. He is, and I say this without even an ounce of hyperbole, one of the most successful business development and partnership people of our generation in the sports business. After spending many years at Major League Soccer and Soccer United Marketing, David took his talents to Florida, where he was Chief Marketing and Chief Commercial Officer for Minor League Baseball. And most recently, he is now Chief Commercial Officer for U.S. Soccer Federation. We are really happy to have David Wright with us today. David, welcome to the podcast. Tim and Dave, pleasure to be here. Excited to hang out for a little bit. So let's get started. Um, you guys, uh, you guys had uh, a pretty good week last week um, when the, the men's national team qualified for the uh, for the World Cup in Qatar. So let, let me ask you, uh, you know, that was it was not a fait accompli, but it was um, it was assumed that the team was going to make it. Um, they they did um, by virtue of some results that happened the night they played Costa Rica. Have you seen any um, uptick in interest? in soccer coming off the disappointment of four years ago, um, sort of the rebooting of the, of the program. Um, and, uh, and, and the success now 15th ranked team in the world. Yeah, I think, um, you know, qualifying for the world cup obviously is a huge milestone and I mean, now all attention on the men's side, obviously, is, is focused in the lead up to Qatar in December. But I think when you when you take a step back and you really look at the sport from a macro perspective, you know, there's so much that's going in the right direction. And the sport is in a completely different place in 2022 than even in 2018, let alone in 2014 or 2010. So while there is going to be unprecedented growth um, the base is so much greater than it's ever been and that's that's really important obviously not qualifying in 18 was a big blow but was somewhat insulated because of the rise of the sport from a macro perspective and 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 now we're just so much farther along and i think the excitement um, is only going to increase obviously in the lead up but Let's not forget, I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, this moment in time for our sport. And you think about December Men's World Cup, you think about the Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand in 23. You think about, obviously, you know, hosting a World Cup in 26. I mean, it will be the, the largest sporting event of all time by a long shot. And then you've got LA 28 and who knows, potentially another Women's World Cup on U.S. soil in 31. So there's a 10-year run for this sport, unlike 10 years before, and it's really exciting. So obviously, uh, the recent uh, development in qualification is 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 super exciting, um, but it's just a piece of a much larger puzzle, and and 
and it's it's all trending in the right direction, which is really exciting. David, thanks for that. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump ahead to a question we were gonna touch on a little later, but you just gave some kernels there of it. And I want to go a little deeper and have you go in as much detail as you can of of really characterize the state of soccer in the United States, particularly for those people that may not be following the business side as much as you obviously have to do or we do. Um, you know, what what can people expect over the next five or 10 years of, of uh, in seeing, whether as a fan or possibly a brand that uh, that may want to become associated with the Federation? You know, Dave, that's a great question. And and I think I think Professor McGee could probably have a, a class on this, uh, you know, in, in grad school. But let me see if I can do it some justice. I think I, I provide a, a unique perspective because you know, I've been fortunate to be involved in the game for some time. And, and I was at Major League Soccer during some of the formative years where, quite frankly, back in 2000, like there wasn't a week that went by where people weren't questioning the viability of that league. Now you fast forward and no one's questioning the viability of Major League Soccer. No one's questioning the viability of, of the NWSL. Um, so the professional game is at a completely different state. The foundation, as you think about kind of the building blocks for our sport, you know, first from a fandom standpoint, over 100 million people in this country are passionate about the game. You've got some of the biggest global brands in business that have recognized soccer as a as an integral part of their marketing mix and investing hundreds of millions of dollars into the game. You've got an infrastructure as you think about how you showcase the sport with billions of dollars invested in in soccer specific stadiums you've got owners at the professional level and the varying levels of the professional game in this country that that are investing in, in really meaningful ways and and these are these are significant individuals that that could invest quite frankly in anything and they've chosen to invest in soccer in this country and you've got media partners and content consumption at epic levels i mean there's more soccer content consumed in the US than any other country around the world. Um, so you put all that in a pot, you mix it around and you look to the future, all of that's only gonna grow. And, and I, I, I've been asked a lot, you know, the 94 World Cup was here and, 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 and the impact that had, and that was really kind of the, the seed for the launch of Major League Soccer in 96, but the 90s compared to what we're going to experience over the next 10 years, is not apples to apples, in part because, and one of the primary differences, the foundation is now in place. You know, in the 90s, you didn't have soccer-specific stadiums. You didn't have some of the biggest brands in sport investing at the levels they are. You didn't have media uh, companies that are doubling down. And, and you didn't have a generation, quite frankly, that grew up with a game in a meaningful way. And now you do. And it's it's I mean, I'm obviously a little biased and, and I've got a couple feet in the in the ring, but it, it is it is a fun time. And, and you know, every single metric is pointing in the right direction. And I, I got to tell you that the ability to be one of three hosts of the World Cup in 26 is is going to have a profound impact on on our sport. And, you know, for brands, I mean, most of the sophisticated brands are already knee deep in the in the sport in some form or, or, or another. And I think uh, those that aren't are going to are going to very quickly say, hey, hey, wait a second. It's probably time we start to take a hard look at this sport as kind of a 
a next generation marketing mix uh, as they think about their business going forward. Thanks for that, David. Um, let's take a look backwards for just a moment, if you don't mind. I know you weren't there in 2018 with the organization. Um, great disappointment for soccer fans. I'm sure that people within the Federation were also greatly disappointed that the men's national team failed to qualify. Um, and so they went about, you know, sort of reconfiguring the team, um, bringing in Greg Berhalter. Was there anything analogous that had to be done on the commercial side or had you built up enough goodwill, enough equity um, so that the Federation could continue to do business as usual with an eye towards 2022 and beyond? Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't here, but I, I was close enough to, you know, I think provide a little perspective. I think first, um, you know, that was a tough stretch for the Federation. Um, you know, what normally is a celebratory moment uh, was no longer there. And, and, and while the relevance of the World Cup was still significant in this country, it, it obviously wasn't nearly as significant as it, as it would have been. Um, very fortunate to have great partners in Sock and I Marketing who has, have managed the commercial rights. And I think they did a heck of a job uh, in partnership with, with the folks at U.S. Soccer to, to keep things together. You know, and and it's a it's a credit to to some. It's a credit to our partners for kind of looking at the long term, right? And and while this was a a blip and a disappointment, a significant disappointment, it's it's a bit of a long game. And we all know that the best partnerships are those that are built over time, right? And and in any great relationship, there's going to be disappointments, and it's how you kind of manage through that and and learn from those and, and, and focus on the future that ultimately wins the day. And I think that's, that's in large part what happened. And, and we were very fortunate to have a great management team in place. We we're very fortunate to have um, partners that were able to see the bigger picture and, and now build towards the future. And that's exactly what we've done. And now in 2022, we're in a completely different place. You know, our value prop in the marketplace is in a completely different place. Um, you know, obviously we've, we've staffed up on our side. And so I think, you know, we're operating at a different level and, and I think are really prepared for what the future holds as we think about how do we exponentially grow our business. And I use the word exponentially, uh, intentionally, because I think we, we, we're on the cusp of that. And I think having that moment in time, that 10 year runway that I articulated gives us line of sight into the future and gives us a ton of confidence that we're onto something big. And, and if we play this right and we manage the business accordingly, that there should be exponential growth ahead. Early in the show, we talked about it being such a remarkable time for women's sports. Uh, it's something that, that I think Tim and I both believe as far as brands being associated with it and, and athlete opportunities and so forth. In February, it was announced this historic a settlement with the U.S. Women's National Team and the Federation. Um, with all that behind, uh, are there any initiatives that are focused particularly on the women's side of the ledger uh, here that you can talk about? Dave, it's a great question. I think first and foremost, we're—I mean, we're, we're in such a um, a great position to to have a women's national team that you know, is our leaders on the field clearly and have been, you know, the gold standard on the field for well over a generation, but equally as important are uh, leaders off the field. And, 
You know, it's interesting as, as the commercial marketplace has finally started to, to catch on. And, and by the way, you've seen that. I mean, just look at some of the ads around the NCAA basketball tournament, right? Like, wait, what? I'm going to use your phrase. Like, you know, holy, holy cow, it's about time we recognize that female sport matters and female sport is here to stay. And, and female sport is very representative of a large swath of consumers in this country. And for us, you know, we're in a really, I think, important position because we have the ability to create positive change. And we're starting to see that as we think about um, our commercial relationships. And I'll use Nike as a great example. Uh, there are a number, and I, I've been very vocal in saying this, there are a number of strategic, what we're calling strategic pillars that make up our, our 10-year renewal with Nike. And one of them is how do we together propel and move the female game forward, not just in the U.S., but globally. And we truly believe that through our collective efforts, we have the ability to do that. And I think uh, you're going to start to see more and more of, 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 of leagues and properties and federations, but more and more brands start to lean in and, and not just check the box, but actually double down and, and, and have their actions support their words. And I'm really proud of our organization and kind of the commitment that we've made and quite frankly, the responsibility that we've taken on to be leaders in this space. And I think we're only, we're only getting started. Hey, thanks for that. I do want to say before Tim asks his next question, I, I really appreciate you saying that was a that was a great question. And I, I'm not going to let you know that that was actually Tim's question. But since we're so tight on this show and how we go back and forth, you know, sometimes <laughs> that happens. But I'll take the full credit. That's for good. It. That's good. Teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> Wait, is that what you talk about in your in your class? No, that's when <laughs> I, I mean, coach. When I okay. coach, I coach in cliches. <laughs> So, so, David, um, you guys made an announcement not too long ago that you were going to end an almost 20-year relationship with Soccer United Marketing, your former employer. Um, and so I guess uh, my question is, you know, number one, what was the impetus for that decision? And then part two is, um, what does that mean in terms of how you change your organizational structure, your go-to-market strategy or anything uh, related to, to securing that exponential growth in, in partnership that you referred to earlier. So that's another great question. Is that is that Dave's question? That was, that was his too. He dominated these. So he's two for two? Yeah, he was, a, he was a very dominant force during this prep, uh, prep time good. for this show, that's Dave. Good. I love it. <laughs> you know, I, I would tell you guys that um, you know, as I mentioned, I mean, soccer and marketing obviously is near and dear to my heart. I am, I am in large part who I am because of my 15 years at that organization. And, and they have almost single-handedly uh, built the commercial business for our sport in this country. And it wasn't that long ago, it was fairly nascent. And I think now you think about the soccer business in this country and it's fairly robust and they're a big, big driver in that. You know, for us, uh, it really came down to um, a couple of things. One, where we think the industry is going. And if you look at uh, the, the, the industry leading properties out there, um, it should come as no surprise that most, if not all, manage their commercial rights. Um, and, and, and two, you know, 
it's it's more than just the revenue. While we think that there is significant revenue growth ahead in our management of the commercial business, having a seat at the table with decision makers matters. And as we uh, may negotiate and, and, and soon manage our new media partners going forward, dealing day in and day out with the decision makers will have a profound impact on how our business grows. Similarly, as we think about the, the, the broader strategic partner roster that, that we have. So um, relationships and, and, and being at the forefront of strategic decisions was a big driver in the end of, of, of the decision. I'll tell you, it wasn't easy. Um, and, um, you know, we're incredibly thankful for uh, the partnership uh, with some. And, and by, by the way, it's going to continue, albeit maybe a different format. You know, as we think about what that means to our organization, I mean, clearly it's it's unprecedented times, right? So we're we're building a commercial business so that for all intents and purposes, has not been holistically managed by the Federation in a generation. So whether that's our partnerships area, whether that's consumer products, whether that's our media side. So uh, where I've been spending a lot of time is, is really thinking through the optimal infrastructure necessary to, to, to drive success. And, and that doesn't happen overnight. You got to be really thoughtful, um, but it's a, it's a big lift and, and I'm, I'm really pleased with the progress we're making and, and you guys have probably seen some of the announcements. I mean, some of the folks that we've hired are some of the best in the business. And, and at the end of the day, I've been very vocal in saying our greatest asset are the people waking up thinking about our business. And we've been very, very successful at, at attracting incredibly talented, passionate folks that are going to add to this organization. I think the other shift, and this will take some time, it's just a, a, a cultural shift, right? You know, now uh, we're, we have a front row seat. And so the decisions we make as, a, as an organization, um, you know, are, are, are really important. And the stakes are higher because um, we're, we're, we're driving the bus, so to speak. And so that just takes time. And I think we're well on our way. And I, I could not be more pleased with the progress we're making as we as we look ahead to 23 and beyond, um, it's it's an exciting time, and and really really bullish on on our business as we think to the future. Yeah, it certainly seemed to me that the partnership served its purpose quite well, and it was probably very important to get to the point because this is, if nothing else, the growth of soccer has been a very methodical. And yes, some people probably have felt it's moving a little slower. Uh, than they want, particularly as it relates to uh, play on the field, but it has been very methodical. Along those lines, you've talked about a 10-year runway here, uh, looking out from a soccer power standpoint in the country, where, you know, if you look to 10 years down the road, uh, 15th ranked on the men's side now, obviously have been dominant on the women's side, but specifically focusing on that, on that men's side, uh, you know, where do you see, where do you see the U.S. men's team being in terms of, you know, rankings, could we be considered a legit, uh, you know, power on the international football stage? Well, Dave, I would argue, I would argue we already are. A legit uh, I knew you were going to say that and I like it. Yeah. So and by start. the way, and by the way, that was David's question. That <laughs> yeah, was not clearly. my question. Oh, yeah. You know, now, I, <laughs> no, let's start with that. No. But, I, but what I would say, you know, we, um, 
so so we've gone through a pretty thorough exercise where we've mapped out what we're calling 2030 goals so how are we going to measure our progress as an organization and and there's really three buckets there's performance on the field there's participation and there's fandom and so performance on the field um you know I'll, I'll i'll speak broadly to it i mean let's start with the women obviously i mentioned gold standard number one ranked in the world have been for a long time um our our goal is to maintain that number one position and and, and some that might not be as familiar with the sport may say well duh like okay you're you should be number one in the world but it's not that easy right and and as as more and more countries double down on female sport as they invest material resource in the development side of the game um, <clears throat> it becomes more and more challenging and mm -hmm. so we recognize that and we know that we've got to continue to invest uh, with our women's national team and our extended national teams to ensure um, that that we maintain that number one position and and i think the professional leagues have, have, a, have an important role so nwsl and and some of the other women's leagues that are starting to be developed are, are, are really important on the development side of the game. So that's on the female side. On the men's side, you know, uh, what an exciting group of players. I mean, you think about uh, what Greg and his team have done in, in, in calendar year 22. Um, obviously, qualification is great, but, you know, Nations League uh, championship, Gold Cup uh, championship, uh, three wins against Mexico um you know it, it, it's a very very dynamic group of players that um you know apply their trade all over the world and 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 and, and it's a very uh deep player pool which is really important and we saw that play out throughout the summer and, and obviously through qualification um you know it, it it's interesting i saw a stat the other day that our our men's team is the youngest team to qualify uh, for the World Cup, which really speaks to the future of uh, the men's program, and 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 when you've got players like Christian and 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 Serginho and um, uh, you know others that that are playing, quite frankly, on some of the biggest clubs around the world, um, that wasn't always the case. And they're not just on the roster; they're they're dynamic players that are really really important um to those clubs and they're playing in the champions league so as we think to the future i think there's a lot of optimism uh and and you know we'll, we'll see where it goes um but our 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 goal over the next number of years as we point towards 2030 is to have uh, our men's team be a top eight team in the world which um means you can compete for championships every time you step on the field have you promised no World Cup qualifying in perpetuity in St. Paul in Minnesota in February? Yeah, I, 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 you I know, think that's I, a step in the right direction. For the yeah, players. that was uh, that that was an interesting event, but um, an amazing win, by the way. I mean, it, was it really was great. That was to say, all I'll say is, you know, there's a lot of thought that goes into uh, venue and market selection as you think about World Cup qualifying and. Right. And uh, we're we're very pleased with how that that ended out. Yeah, apparently the pitch in Fairbanks, Alaska, wasn't available that night, so they went to <laughs> the right. St. Right. Paul. But you know, it, it looks like uh, David Paro and the entire nation of of England is looking past uh, the United States' ability in this upcoming World Cup. But uh, the only thing I would say to our to our British listeners, and we do have a global audience, we, Dave, just so you know. 
uh, is, you know, the last time you overlooked us was almost 250 years ago. And that look where that got you. So, Two um, teams come out of the, of the group. I'm not, I'm not concerned. I'm feeling good. I don't, I don't know. You know, Ukraine is going to be a, uh, oh, that's, it's yeah. going to be a, you know, a, a sort of a sentimental you're, choice. You're, I think your Scots are going to need to make sure they, uh, th that doesn't happen. Right. But you know what? Anything can happen as we all know, it's going to be a wild event. I mean, it's, it's going to be November, December. I mean, let's just start there. Um, but it's going to be great. It's going to be great for our sport. Um, you know, the fact that we'll, we'll have a match on, on uh, Friday after Thanksgiving is going to be epic. Uh, so it's, it's going to be really, 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 really good for the game. Yeah. All right. So you've been very kind with your time. We, we'd like to ask you the questions that we ask all our guests before we let them go. So the first one is, how did you get your start in the sports business? Where'd your career get started? Where'd you start it? Yeah, so I, I did my undergraduate work at Indiana University. I played soccer there. Um, and at, at, at some point I had aspirations of playing professionally. And I was really forced with kind of my first major decision, which was that I want to go play for the Rockford Raptors, which by the way, is a real team. Wait, um, wait, what? This is now the, this is now the second time that Rockford, Illinois, has has come into a discussion. Wow! And yes, because because Tim, it is the home of Cheap Check. Yeah. Okay. So so we just sorry, David, to interrupt that. your your. Yeah, it's all good, history, man. Yeah, yeah, it all goes back to Rockford. So I, I I could have gone and played for the Rock Rockford Raptors and lived out of a suitcase, or I could go get a real job, and so. Fortunately, I chose the latter. I, I took an internship uh, out of sports and I absolutely hated it. And it was at a time where um, I thought I wanted to coach collegiately. I, I, I knew that if I could get a graduate degree that um, that would help if I pursued the coaching route. And I set out to try to find a graduate assistant position that married my, my desire to coach with my desire to get a graduate degree. And Lo and behold, I landed at University of Massachusetts. And little did I know that UMass has one of the most accomplished sport business programs around. And to this day, guys, I still have no idea how the hell I got into that program. <laughs> but fortunately, they took a pass and made an exception. And, and off I went to, to Amherst, Mass. And I got to tell you, it was, it was two of the most rewarding years of my life. You know, it gave me the opportunity to um, have incredible classroom experience and marry that with, you know, hands-on practical experience as the assistant men's soccer coach. And I was well on my way to, to going the coaching route. And it was a, a, a relationship that I developed with a gentleman by the name of Mike Noonan, who at the time was the head coach at Brown University. Mike is now the head coach at Clemson University. And, and, um, he introduced me to his brother, a gentleman by the name of Mark Noonan. And Mark had just started at Major League Soccer as EVP of Marketing and Fan Development. And in April of 2000, I made my way, my way down to New York, interviewed with Mark, and, and the rest is history. Some, he saw something in me and, and, and made the bold move to, to bring me on. And, and that was in May of, of 2000. And I had an incredible 15-year run at MLS and Soccer Night Marketing, I started 
in the in the marketing and fan development side as as a manager and i left overseeing global sponsorship 15 years later and and it was just an unbelievable experience and and i owe a lot to to those 15 years it really helped shape for what's been a, a, a decent career mark's a good and smart man uh, yes he is i and, i just one thing david i just want to say that I feel the same way about sixth grade as you do about your master's program, Dave, <laughs> which is uh, the best two years of my life. There you go. Um, by the way, good... Steve Steve McKelvey loves it when we book guests that went through the uh, through the UMass Amherst program. Yeah, I'm sure he does. That's good. So the last question before we let you go, what one piece of advice would you have for somebody young uh, who's looking to break into the business like you were 20-something years ago? Yeah, I think um, a couple of things. I, I would riff on on just a couple of nuggets that I think have proven to be important to me. One, understanding the difference between contacts and relationships. You know, and a lot of young folks as they enter the, their their professional career, they're focused on contacts. How do they go as wide as they possibly can? But there's a real difference, in my opinion, between a contact and a relationship. And a relationship is someone that that knows your strengths. They know your areas of opportunities. They know, um, you know, what makes you tick. And they also are willing to put their neck out and, and, and send a note on your behalf, call someone on your behalf, lobby and be an advocate for you, um, which is so critically important. And a contact, they don't know any of that. Right. So truly understanding and committing to developing as many meaningful relationships as you possibly can. I think the other thing that's really important, particularly early on, and, and I've been so, so fortunate to have this literally every step of the way is, you know, align with people that a you, you share core values with that, that, you know, you're aligned in that sense, but also people that take a vested interest in your development. And, you know, for me, whether it was coaches along my career that saw something in me that really kind of took me under their wing all the way through to the Mark Noonan's of the world, the Kathy Carter's of the world that that were my advocates and took a true vested interest in in helping me develop, I think is really, really important. And then the last thing I think as you get into your career. Um, understanding the value of management. And what I mean by that is it's one thing to manage your own boat to success. It's another thing to lead a ship. And to me, those are two very different things. And, and I've often said that while I went to grad school with a, with a real passion to coach, and while I chose a different route, I've been coaching the last 22 years of my career. And I, I'm, the success that I've had is in large part due to the people around me and my ability to, to build cohesive teams and, 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 and lead and, and manage. And I think if, if you can figure that side out, there's a big difference in your trajectory. And, and for me, you know, it's been, it's been a wild ride. So those are just a handful of nuggets that I threw out there um, that hopefully, uh, make people scratch their head a little bit. That's all great in, stuff. Yeah, all incredible pieces of advice. That that first one that you gave, knowing the difference between a contact and a relationship, it's one of the best pieces of advice I've heard in 
a long, long time. That's amazing. Yeah, so with, with that, let me, uh, Dave, thank you again for taking the time to join us today, sharing your, your insights and your wisdom into, into the world of, of soccer. Um, I think uh, we're all smarter for having listened to you today. So thank you. Um, we're going to take a break right now. But uh, Dave, thanks for joining us. Thanks, David. Thanks, guys. Once again, a big thank you to David Wright, U.S. Soccer. Truly, as Tim said during the introduction, one of the real uh, uh, greats on the biz dev side of this business for sure, and uh, really appreciate the time he spent with us. So we're at the uh, part of the show where we like to look ahead. Tim, what are you spending some time with this week? Well, not surprisingly, I'll be watching the Masters, especially on Thursday and Friday. Um, not that it wouldn't draw great ratings anyway, but I think a lot of casual viewers who might not otherwise have uh, tuned in will watch to see Steve Tiger. The overwhelming majority of which I think will be rooting for him, but there'll be some people out there who are haters. Um, and, you know, I think if you're CBS, you just care about the ratings. You don't care what their <laughs> what their impetus is for that. Um and then the NASCAR uh, race in, in Martinsville. I, that's one of my favorite tracks. Um, it's a, a paper it's clip. A, yeah, it's always a great race. So I'll be watching that as well. How about yourself? Yeah, no, I love Martinsville as well. It's a, it's a riot to watch for sure. Um, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm gone grandchild duty uh, some later this week. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be a big focus. But I, like you, will be tuned in as I can to Augusta. Um, obviously we have some baseball <laughs> about to heat up and, uh, so, uh, some good things happening on the, on the sports side for sure. Um, just another great week in this, uh, in this wonderful business. So that brings to a close another episode of wait, what sports biz chat with BP and McGee. We want to again, thank David Wright, chief commercial officer at us soccer for a great discussion. And of course, we'd like to thank you for listening. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter and on LinkedIn, and be sure to press that follow button, that follow button that I think you find somewhere on your favorite podcast platform. I'm DP. He's McGee. We'll talk soon. Hey, hey.